We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I am Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Kyle Porter. Kyle, what's going on? Not much. Uh, I could use everybody's thoughts and prayers. I'm about to have the kids solo for about three days in a row. Uh, oh my. Which is, which is terrifying. Um, my wife is taking a, a much needed break, a little, uh, little girls trip post football season. So, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm terrified. I'm like, uh, I'm like dizzy playing defense on a, on a two on one fast break. I don't know. I don't know what to do. So your kids are Tulsa in this analogy, I'm assuming. <laughs> Not good. Not a good showing from the Cowboys on, on uh, Wednesday night. Well, your your wife certainly earned the girls' trip. I mean, it's yes, it's not easy wrangling children. Um, no, she's earned it. So good for her. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I'm... I watched a little bit of the game last night. It was, you know, I don't have the stats to back it up, Kyle, but I don't think OSU's ever played well in Tulsa, dating back yeah. to like Eddie's heyday. Like I, I'm sure that they they have won there before. I guess I guess Marshall Moses went in there and won, but. They just seem to play awful, awful games every time they go up to Tulsa. I like that you said Marshall Moses went in there and won. Like it was like a thing to be conquered, like Allen Fieldhouse or something. <laughs> yeah, it's like a road game uh, at Allen Fieldhouse for sure. It's incomparable. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I and I think I, I saw some of the reaction to the loss from people and. I just I feel like I've been preaching this for the last month. Like this team's not going to be that good, you know. I I know that like they're going to have bright spots. They're going to have games where they look good, but just overall they lost a lot. I mean, they lost a lot of scoring. They lost a lot of leadership. I just think if let's say Mike Boynton is in Stillwater for ten years, that's that's an optimistic number for any college coach in in basketball or football. I think this is his worst team. I just do like, I think that's just the reality of it. And so I hope people sort of, cause I saw people saying, Oh, well maybe you should stop recruiting and start coaching. And it's like, come on guys. Like, let's, let's settle down. Like this is, this is all part of the deal. Like this is part of the process. And, uh, I just think that's kind of how it's going to be this year. Yeah. I mean, a few weeks ago I thought, man, they, they can make the tournament. Now I'm, I'm not as, as bullish on that. Um, they, they have some real deficiencies. As you mentioned, if, if Cam McGriff isn't lighting it up, I mean, who's, who's scoring on this team? Michael Weathers is proving to be very inconsistent. Uh, you mentioned Dizzy on defense. Their defense was as bad as their offense too. So (laughs) it's, um, it's not great, but I I did like Mike Boynton kind of owning it on Twitter. I thought that was cool saying it's on me. Uh, I gotta get this fixed. Um, he didn't say, well, I'll, I'll golly gee, I don't know what's going on. Like, uh, like Mike Gundy did after, after the game at TCU. So that, that was encouraging at least. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I had a funny email exchange by the way with OKC Dave. He did this, uh, post football and basketball survey that I, I put on the site. People should take it. Uh, just, it, you kind of get to grade the coaches and the team and expectations and all this, all these different things. It's, it's fun. And I'm sure the, the results will be even more fun, but uh, he originally didn't include the link to the survey, uh, in his, in his first email. And I emailed him back and said, I can't, I don't see the link. It's the dangest thing. And he, he, he emailed me back and said, I don't have any answers. And then he, just, and then he just included the link in there. <laughs> it was it was awesome it was great isn't that funny you guys can speak gundy through an email yeah it's like great. you you both understood exactly what was being said 
<laughs> I don't have any answers. Uh, okay, <laughs> we are going to uh, we are going to call somebody today. Uh, we're going to call Nathan Ruiz of the Oklahoman. Nathan uh, is the beat writer for the Oklahoman, covering Oklahoma State football and basketball. Him and Scott Wright, along with obviously Jenny Carlson and, and Barry Trammell, do a great job. Um, but Nathan's a former 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 Ocala guy. Uh, your your neighborhood, your uh, your world, the world you lived in. Um, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk to him. He was, I believe, he was at the Tulsa game last night. So we can chat about that, about Oklahoma State's football transfers, and uh, a few other things. So let's get to the Coop L Works guest of the week. Coop L Works brewing great tasting craft beer in Oklahoma City. Try the flagship F5 IPA. The Bold DNR Belgian Strong Ale or the Refreshing Horny Toad Blonde. For your next watch party tailgate or get together with friends, enjoy a cold coupe ale works. And please remember to drink responsibly. Okay, let's call Nathan. Okay, joining us right now is Nathan Ruiz, a beat writer for the Oklahoman on Oklahoma State. Uh, Nathan, how was that uh, experience up in Tulsa? It was kind of an ugly game and, and OSU takes another loss. Yeah, the uh, first few minutes of it or pretty comparable to what we saw in Fort Worth in the football game. Mm. Just super ugly on both sides. And then uh, OSU made it competitive, you know. Dezogla, Waters, and McGriff all hit some three-pointers. And the, the the last possession didn't go great. Waters kind of just, like, turned around and flung it towards the basket. But the free throws are an issue. The turnovers are an issue. You know, it's a young team. So I think some of these things are maybe to be expected. But uh, I, I think it's definitely a concerning thing when you add up the, the schedule that was built and the schedule that's coming up. When, when you cover these games, Nathan, and you're around Mike Boynton, uh, what is his demeanor and, and how does he handle losses like that? Maybe losses that you would call kind of just not great losses. It's not great anytime Oklahoma State loses to Tulsa in, in a sport like football or basketball. What, what, is, what is just sort of his disposition after games like that? He takes a lot of ownership for it. You know, I think he tweeted out, you know, it's on me, but he kind of, that was kind of his same attitude in the postgame presser that like, I have to do a better job of preparing these guys. And he recognizes he has a young team and that he, he, you know, kind of took responsibility for the schedule as well. And obviously Tulsa doesn't really fit into that idea of this tough schedule that Oklahoma state has, but you know, he could have, he could have built an eight no, but he didn't do that because he recognized that, you know, in time, these kind of things, the, the trip to Minnesota, the advocate invitational, uh, these upcoming games with Houston and Nebraska, that they're games that in the long run are really going to help this team. And, and uh, obviously the scholarship situation will sort itself out. But as it stands right now, you know, it, a lot of these guys are going to be back next year with uh, Mike Cunningham, Carson's dad being the only one who's going to go. So <laughs> I, I, I think it sets up well where you're getting these young guys experience where maybe this year isn't going to go uh, great. I wouldn't be surprised record-wise to see them take a step back from where they were last year. But I think in the long run, it's really going to benefit this program. Yeah, big shoes to fill with Mike Cunningham moving on. Um, I did want to ask you about the scholarship situation, Nathan. I mean, Boyden keeps reeling in these these big fish in recruiting, and there's simply not enough scholarships. Do you have any feel for how it's going to shake out next year? Interesting points. I've talked to him about that on and off. And, and something he's brought up is to just kind of compare where this team was a year ago you know, Devon Dellard and Zach Dawson were supposed to be part of this team. Devara Sean, Lucas Gasson, uh, Kubasima, uh, you know, all, Brandon Averett, all those guys were supposed to be part of this year's team, and those six guys aren't there. So a lot of it is so transitive, like it can change really fast. Like you don't know, you know, Michael Weathers could have a huge year and decide that, that he wants to go pro. Who knows what Cam McGriff could possibly do. 
Um, and, and then you also have – you look at all these young forwards between Duncan DeMoose and, and Kalu and Contravius Jones. One of those guys could decide uh, they want to play closer to home or there's a better opportunity somewhere else, and they could just decide to transfer. You may end up with multi, multiple guys transferring. So I think there's a lot of flexibility still, and I don't think Bowen has any idea really how it's going to sort out. And, you know, he's, he's intelligent enough to handle 13 as a number and, and handle those scholarships. So I, I think in the long run it sorts itself out and, you know, a kid just decides, hey, there's a better opportunity for me either at another school or at the professional level and they're going to take it. Uh, but I, I think in the long run, you know, that's something he's evaluating, something he's keeping an eye on, but I don't think it's something that's at the forefront of his thought process right now. So what you're saying is that in 2018, if you're coaching a major – football or basketball program, you should be prepared, be prepared for people to transfer at the end of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, the generation of snowflakes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of it's a great transition. It's a, it's a perfect segue. What, uh, what's it been like around the football program this week? Obviously Carson and I are, are kind of in and out, uh, me living down here and, and Carson covering a, a bunch of different teams, but you're a little bit closer to it. What's it been like being around Mike Gundy and, and just sort of the mood of the program with, with uh, all these guys transferring or, or turning pro? Yeah, Gundy's attitude has been fairly similar to kind of just what we've heard. Uh, we've only talked to him once since the uh, Justice Hill, Lair Williams, Darren Daniels news all came out. But, you know, it's just kind of the same. Like, it's the world we live in, you know, that's that society. You know, it's the very liberal society we're in now. <laughs> so he just kind of threw out all that stuff. But the players seem pretty supportive of it. Um, pretty understanding of their teammates, you know, uh, Chuba was, was pumped for justice. So he's a guy he's really looked up to and, and is happy yeah. for him to get that opportunity. So the same thing, uh, with JD King, the JD King was a brother, one of his best friends. So it, it seems that generally there's a lot of support for, for the guys among the players for the decisions that are being made. Um, yeah, I, you know, the stance that Mike Gundy is putting out there, I'm sure is very much his, his personal stance. He's not just putting out a front. Um, he, he doesn't seem too happy with kind of the state of, athletics giving players more power which from his position does make sense i think the thing that's really mm-hmm. upsetting to him is the inability to replace these lost scholarships you you can still only add 25 guys in a signing class yeah when additional guys leave he can't get those numbers back so i think that's the thing that really frustrates him but but at the same time i, I kind of get most of these decisions you know jordan brailford and justice hill coming off all big 12 years trying to kind of capitalize on that uh justice getting beat up obviously running backs only have so many carries in them Railford is, is 23 years old, you know, and uh, going to be, would be a 60 year senior. So it makes sense. Uh, Darian, uh, JD King and uh, Jalen McCleskey, their decisions all seem to be pretty family based as far as their transfers go. So I, I think uh, I get maybe the, the fear among fans of like what's going on, but I think in a lot of these cases, it does make some sense for them yeah. to leave and maybe explore better opportunities. What have you heard about Spencer Sanders? I mean, there, there's just a wide. <laughs> Carson what? just jumps into. You didn't like it. that? It's great. No, it's great. I love it. I mean, it's our... obviously, obviously, Cornelius is going to play in the bowl game. I think we all can agree on that. But, <laughs> but just the OSU program is kind of in a weird state right now, Nathan, with this transition that's going to happen at quarterback. Just what have you heard throughout the season about him? How Spencer's been doing in practice versus you know, will he be ready next year? Just. What's your take on the program and with Spencer Sanders assuming he takes over next year? You know, everyone's been kind of coded when talking about both him and Drew Brown, just kind of, oh, yeah, they're they're good practice players. They're doing well. They're learning a lot. Like even, you know, Taylor Cornelius is not the most talkative guy, but that's kind of just the message he put out there. 
uh, Mike Yersich kind of on and off in terms of how talkative he is, but that's the kind of same thing that he's been impressed with both of them in practice. It, it's kind of a weird situation this year because I see, I understand the hesitancy in not playing one of them because then the other one is going to get this assumption that like, oh, that one's the guy in 2019. And obviously Drew Brown's situation is a little different because he would have to probably mm-hmm. go D2 or D3 or whatever to, to play next year. Um, just given the way graduate transfer rules are set up. and, the, and But the Spencer Sanders transferring would be a weird thing for me just because even if he was Drew Brown's backup next season, he wouldn't be playing until 2020 anyway, and if he transferred, he would sit out next year. Um, so if he were to transfer, I wouldn't think it'd be a playing time situation. I think it'd be like a disgruntled situation, which I don't know that any of that is happening. There's obviously, I don't think anyone is too happy with a 6-6 six and six season. But, I, I, you know, he came here for a reason. I think he has a good relationship with Mike Yersich and – uh, as far as I understand, it was Mike Gundy, and and but it, it's so the Drew Brown situation is super strange to me, just given, um, you know, he's he's a guy who came in here expecting to compete for the job, and then before he even arrives on campus, Kayla Cornelius is the guy, uh, but I think he was a guy who wanted to compete for the job mm-hmm. throughout the season, and, and Taylor just didn't give him that opportunity mm-hmm. every time it maybe looked like something might happen. Taylor went out and played really well. Uh, but now, you know, they get their first shot in, in these bowl practices, and then we'll see it continue into the spring. But I, I, I do have trouble imagining that Spencer Sanders is given the talent, given everything we've heard, uh, Mr. Texas football and all that. I, it's hard to imagine him not getting the job, but it just makes Drew Brown's transfer really kind of inexplicable. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It makes you wonder what the kind of communication was between him and OSU before it happened, and I don't know if his – delay with how late he arrived that affected things in any way but it's just a strange situation it it for sure is a strange situation and and we've talked about that uh, a lot on this podcast and you know obviously a lot of people have talked about it all year it's it's just weird to go from being the starter somewhere and you transfer somewhere else and you're you you might never start again like it's just a it's a bizarre thing i i did want to go back uh, real quick to the the transfer thing, uh, you wrote an article, I believe it was after Big 12 Media Days, where coaches were kind of uh, just commenting on, um, I don't know, the transfer culture in, in college football. And it seems like we're in kind of this middle ground of the, the rules haven't been amended to where they give the mm-hmm. players all the power to where you could transfer and play the next year. That would be that would be giving players a ton of power because so many people would transfer every year. Uh, but they're certainly a little bit more lenient than they used to be. Do you feel like we're in the middle of this like transfer of power uh, between coaches and players in college football? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Gundy made a point about that uh, when we met with him this week, just kind of saying that he wouldn't be surprised if it eventually got to that point where there's just freedom of transfer. Um, and, and I kind of agree that'd be a weird situation. Um, I get like players should have as much freedom as possible. Like I have no issue with anything that's happened and. Uh, you know, all the different perspectives of what Jalen Hurts did at Alabama versus Kyler Murray transferring to OU and the success that they both had in the championship games. Like, everyone has their own path and their own story and their their own interests and desires, and I think they should be welcome to explore that. But uh, it, it was just kind of interesting. I, I totally forgot about that article until you brought it up. But I remember the thing that was – one thing that was super interesting to me was Matt Campbell, Iowa State's coach. He talked about how he doesn't – he doesn't block anything. He just lets them go wherever they want to go. And obviously yeah. now they can't do that anymore, but – um, but Jacob Park, he, I like looked it up. He blocked Jacob Park's transfer to Drake, Iowa, and like any schools on Iowa State's future schedule. So it, I don't, you know, coaches are going to say what they want to say and it's all political. And I really like Matt Campbell. He seems like a great guy. Um, and obviously having a lot of success up there in Ames, but it, 
it, there's so much politicism to all this when we see Mike Gundy mm-hmm. dish that out a lot. But I, I think it's definitely a situation <laughs> where in time, like the, the culture is shifting towards the power of players. And there's obviously the, uh, you know, coaches who are, you know, players are going to sit out the bowl games, but then there's coaches who are leaving their schools before the bowl game. So it, it kind of goes both ways. And I don't know how many coaches are like recognizing the irony of that, but I think in time we'll continue to see uh, that shift in power to maybe even if it's not in the players' favor, it's a little more a little more balance between the two sides. I think another shift in the power is this. I think it's going to become very commonplace for anybody entering the NFL draft to sit out the bowl game unless they're playing, you know, in the in the college football playoff. Just did you think Justice made the right decision, or were you surprised by it? Just what was your take on on Justice's decision to sit out the bowl game and? What was Gundy's kind of overall feeling about it? Yeah, I get it. I get it completely. You know, uh, like I mentioned earlier, like running backs only have so many carries. And um, uh, he's a guy who's given a lot to OSU in his, in his two-plus years. I think it's a little disappointing from the standpoint of not getting to see him again. You know, he just he exits that OU game, comes back with that one more carry, and that's kind of just the last OSU fans will get to see of him. So I think from, from that perspective, it's disappoint, disappointing. He's 70 yards shy, 70 yards shy of joining Terry Miller as the only running backs in OSU history with three 1,000-yard seasons. So it would, it would have been cool to see him go out there in the bowl game, have a nice game, a nice little send-off uh, for his career. But obviously, you know, one of, you know, a, a probably a top-five running back. I know you guys have debated that on here, too. But he, he's a guy who's, whose place in OSU history will be well-remembered. Um, but I get it. Obviously, coming off the injury, even if he's healthy, you know, you, you just don't want to risk anything. You don't want to aggravate anything. Uh, Gundy's stance was that it's something that when it first happened uh, – a few years back with Fernet and McCaffrey and those guys that he saw it being something that would kind of just permeate, you know, he kind of said that he wouldn't be surprised. You mentioned championship games. He wouldn't be surprised if in the long run, you know, someone's saying, you know, in someone's ear and saying, Hey, you're going to make this much money. If you get yeah. hurt, you, you, you're going to make significantly less. And at a point there might be guys sitting out in championship games. I, I, I think that might be a little extreme. I think, you know, these guys are competitive enough, like Kyler Murray coming back for another year, uh, when he doesn't have to, when he has 4.66 million sitting on the table. So I, I think a lot of these college guys are competitive enough. A lot of them, it's, you know, they recognize the, the joy that college football brings. Obviously, the, the monetary aspect of the NFL is there. But it, I think it makes sense in a bowl game to, to sit it out. You're you're not competing at the same level. But you know, Gundy did say, you know, in time, I think we'll see guys who maybe, it, like OSU was this year, who weren't in championship situations at the end of the season, maybe start to sit out games. Yeah, that, that's that's going to be really interesting if that if that comes to fruition. Um, okay, enough about these guys. I want to hear about how your first year at the Oklahoman was. This was uh, just full time, full on beat writing, and just what, what's it been like to to kind of take that on and and uh, your your path to get to that point. Yeah, it's been a good time. I started back in January, so coming up on a year here pretty quick. Uh, but it's been great. I work with great people. Uh, Sky Ride, my partner on the OSU beat, is great to work with. Uh, Jenny Carlson and Barry Trammell, our columnists, are great. Uh, uh, our bosses, uh, Ryan Sharp and Jeff Patterson, are great to work for. Uh, but, yeah, it's been really good. It's been, you know, busy, busy, busy. My first game on the beat, I dropped in during uh, the conference basketball slate. So my first game was mm-hmm. that Bedlam game where Mitchell Solomon dove to the floor to mm-hmm. beat Trey Young to the ball. So that was a that was a great game to just jump right into. But obviously I've been around OSU before. I'm an OSU alum, uh, covered football, baseball, basketball for the Ocali for several years. So it was kind of just, I was away for a little bit. I covered the Padres for MLB.com, uh, not uh, summer of 2017. So 
it was just kind of getting back into that grind of being back in Oklahoma, back around Oklahoma State, back around Stillwater. But it, it's been good. You know, I had a lot of relationships from the Ocali that I've been able to build on and continue. And, you know, being in this position, it's a little different because you don't have as much help. You know, it's just me and Scott and the occasional columnist, whereas at the Ocali, you know, you're, you're – you're an army of people just down there and every little thing can be handled by someone. But yeah, it's been great. Keeps me busy. Keeps me uh, a little stressed now and then this time of year with basketball and football overlap has been tough, but it's definitely been a good time. Do Trammell or any of them accidentally call you Anthony Slater ever? Uh, no, I have a lot. I have so many nicknames. So I interned there the summer <laughs> after my sophomore year and someone, uh, one of the other guys on the desk had mentioned, like was calling me Nathan, 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 but yeah, it's stuff he knows. So I thought he was saying Dave. So I turned around and I was like, did you just say Dave? And so I, that was like my second day in the office. And so I was Dave for the rest of the summer. And some guys still call me Dave. And then uh, Barry, Barry calls me Chico because, um, which now gets confusing with Mike Cunningham because he's Chico too. But Barry calls me Chico because there's some 1960s Cincinnati Reds baseball player who is Chico Ruiz. So he calls me Chico. That's the most trammel nickname ever. Yeah, I was going to say, what did he call, uh, he called uh, Travis Haney Dreamboat. What did he call Anthony Slater? AC, uh, AC Slater. Just AC, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's that's hilarious. Uh, uh, I, I got to ask him about Mario Kart. Yeah. Uh, your, your Twitter bio says you're the 2013 Mario Kart champion at OSU. Like, how big of a yeah. tournament was this, and which character do you use? This is crucial. <laughs> oh, yeah, so it was... Uh, there was a video game tournament my freshman year and it was just like in the student union and there were people playing Mario Kart on the Wii and the people playing, I think it was NCAA 14 and, and FIFA. And R. like I, the talent, the talent pools were much larger for NCAA and FIFA. <laughs> so I decided to take like the most direct path to victory. And there was like, <laughs> I think it was like a, there was like a giant bracket. And so, but only like 10 names on it. So like, I felt like my chances are pretty good. Uh, I won the first two races pretty narrowly. I used Luigi. Um, I feel like he doesn't get enough respect. And oh. so I won won the first two races li- narrowly, dominated the third race, won the championship. I got a pair of Beats headphones. So those are pretty sweet. And I also nice. got the bracket. So I have that somewhere. This giant, like, it's made for like 128 people, but there's like 10 names on it. But the last one in the middle is, is Nathan R. So I, I, I was the winner. So that's all that matters. I'm so, more of a Yoshi self but yeah, luigi's kind of underrated i guess i i kind of like uh i like toad yeah i wasn't I, I wasn't allowed to play video games growing up because i was homeschooled and uh so like <laughs> when i got in the truth that's true when i got in high school that's like i would go over to friends houses and they'd want to go play like go play basketball or whatever and i'd be like can we play video games because i never get to do this <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, I get like a. I think the first time I like touched a Game Boy, I was like 11 years old. So like every day in like the elementary school after school program, I just like watch other kids play theirs over their shoulder and just <laughs> like that little Squidward meme with like watching outside the window. That's sure you felt the same way. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Nathan, every week we do a uh, we do a segment sponsored by Chris's University Spirit talking about uh uniform combinations and and uh, different stuff like that i wanted to get your favorite uniform that oklahoma state wore this year carson and i talked about ours i think it was last week that, that we discussed it but uh yeah just shout out to chris's and uh nathan what's your what was your favorite uni combo that oklahoma state wore 
I mean, it's got to be the uh, the throwbacks. That feels like kind of a cop out, but those things were incredible. I got I got to touch one. I met with uh, Justin Williams and talked to him about him, and he kind of just like let me like <laughs> hold one and look at it. And it was such like a seminal moment for me. It's like well, it, those things are insane. Like the patches up close, it looked like it was just like the Barry Sanders patch. It looked like it was just like a picture they yeah. just put on there. Like the level of wow. detail they put into those things. And, like, Justin and his staff, they do great work. They put so much effort into everything they do. But if I had to pick, like, a regular uni combo, I, I'd probably say Bedlam. I think that's their best road look. The uh, the black, white, orange, I think. you know, And the throwback to 2014, like, that had to be what they wore. Like, it made too much sense. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I think, uh, I think that's probably my favorite look. I've been waiting for them to do orange out. I feel like that's, like – they haven't done that, I think, since, like, my freshman year in 2013. I think they did it against, like, KU or maybe West Virginia, maybe TCU. They did it in some home game, but they went they all did orange it. and they haven't done it since. Yeah, they did it TCU because it was the, the game that Josh Stewart returned the punt. I think it was probably the last yeah, time yeah, they yeah. returned a punt. And uh, <laughs> and there was that picture of, like, six TCU guys, like, laying behind him. It was, it was an awesome photo. I think uh, McCleskey in 16, didn't he return one? 16 yeah, I think – at Tech, I think he returned one, I believe. Yeah, it's a 16. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, that's great. Uh, Nathan, I know you've got uh, other stuff that you got to get to, but uh, appreciate you coming on. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll one of us will see you at uh, at the bowl game here. And you're going to Memphis, right? I am not, actually. It's just not working out. But I'll be here covering OSU basketball against Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Oh, yeah. There you go. Even better. Yeah. Awesome. Not missing out on anything. Nope. Uh, That's great. Okay, Nathan, thanks for coming on, man. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Nathan. See ya. Okay, Carson. Um, actually, let's hear one more time from our sponsor, Chris's University Spirit, and we'll come back and, uh, and wrap this thing up. Chris's University Spirit on Campus Corner in Stillwater, Oklahoma, is proud to be your one-stop cowboy shop since 1986 and proud sponsor of this podcast, Pistols Firing. They specialize in custom-printed Oklahoma State apparel and merchandise and pride themselves on their excellent customer service. They also offer a full line of custom Greek apparel and can even outfit your Little League team head-to-toe. They're located at the corner of 3rd and Knobloch on Historic Campus Corner. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Shop Stilly. Shop Chris's University Spirit. Okay, Carson, anything that uh, that Nathan said stood out to you or or caught your attention? Well, he he won with one hand tied, tied behind his back on Mario Kart playing with Luigi. I mean, Luigi's slower yeah. than, than Yoshi that's and like, Toad. That's like, uh, Luigi's like the K-State of Mario Kart. Yeah, that's a great analogy. That's exactly who they are, or who he is. So, that was my biggest takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think the, I th- man, I, I, I've written about this a lot this week, but I think the player empowerment thing is is super interesting, and I think that, you know, we talk about all these transfers and people are like, oh, the new transfer rules. And it's like, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure people know what they're saying. Like, there's not really a new transfer rule. Coaches are not allowed to block players now. Like, you can't do the West Lunt thing where you block somebody. But to my knowledge, Oklahoma State hasn't been doing that. They did it. I mean, I think they did it like very 
rarely over the like in Mike Gundy's tenure. And Gundy said this summer they haven't done it in like three or four years. So there's not like a new transfer rule. I think that there's just been this sort of culture within college football created among the players that they they're like, oh, well, that guy transferred and he turned out okay. Baker Mayfield transferred. Kyler Murray transferred, Shea Patterson transferred, maybe I could do that too. And I, I, I just, I think it's more of the culture of things than it is any rule that is, that is, um, you know, allow these guys to, to do this. Well, I, I agree with that, that it's, the rule hasn't changed much, but I do think it, it has in that, you know, the, the first four games I think was a, a game changer. I mean, you had to play, I believe in the first four games and still get a red shirt. Whereas, you know, J.D. King transfers. He wouldn't have been able to do that under the old rules. So I think you're going to see way more after the season's over for some young freshmen, maybe sophomores that haven't played, but in a couple games transfer. I think it was always widespread with quarterbacks because only one of those can play. But now I think you're starting to see every single position, if they don't feel like they're playing enough, they're just going to pack their bags and leave, which I get where Mike Gundy's coming from with his frustrations with that. And I think they might. I mean, I think they'll keep it as is for now, but I think they might reevaluate it if it gets too out of control, wherever, where coaches are having to replace double-digit amount of players. You know, like, what if 10 or 15 guys transfer from you? <laughs> that cripples you for the next year. Well, you would, like he said, like Nathan said, you would have to change the rule to where you could sign more than 25, because otherwise, you're, you're, I mean, your program could be decimated for, for a couple of years. But back to what you were saying about J.D. King, you're saying under... You're saying he wouldn't have transferred before? What, what were you What were you saying there? Well, the new rule is it doesn't matter which four games you play in. You can play in four games. Previously, I believe it was the first four games of the season. That's all you had. So if you were to play at the end of the year in one game, that your redshirt would be burned. Right. Right. So, But what does that have to do with J.D. King? Well, he... He would have played at the end of the year this year, right? He did play at the end of the year this year. I mean, he he didn't he didn't he doesn't get a red shirt for 2018. He played in like eight games. Or did he not did he not red shirt this year? No. Did, would he not be able to? No. See, I didn't I didn't know how many games he played in. It didn't seem like he played in four games to me. Well, because they didn't use him because he didn't get the ball. <laughs> but That's yeah, what I'm he saying, played. In, but if he, if he only if he played in three games, he's eligible to red shirt and transfer. Right, but he, I think he played an eight. But uh, to your point, J- that's what Jalen McCluskey did, and right, I, that's a better but, example, like, I guess. <laughs> but how 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 often is that going to happen? Where a guy tests the waters for four games and then transfers? Like that just seemed like a very unusual situation. Right, but I don't think it's that unusual if a guy is a sophomore and hasn't used a red shirt yet or played a little his freshman year. And isn't playing as much as you'd like as a sophomore. To me, it, it it makes it way more widespread with the way the rule is now. Is is my point? Yeah, I I think I think that's fair. I think that that could happen. I don't I don't know if it will. I think I think where you see the dam break is what I mentioned to Nathan about if if they're if they if the NCAA allows you to transfer and not have to sit out a year. I mean, all bets are off. That's going to be a circus because people yeah. are. It, it, it's just going to be a free for all. Because people are going to say, oh, well, I'll just go over here because they, you know, this guy graduated. They've got a spot open. It, it's it's going to be a mess. And uh, I, I don't know if that's a – like, I get it. I get empowering players and, you know, coaches can do this. Why not players? All, I get all those things. I just don't know if that is a um, – 
th- that's Pandora's box and you, you can't ever close that. And so I just, I, I, I'm, I'm concerned about what the effects of that would be on college football in the future. Yeah. And I think that would be, that would make it just total free agency. It'd be just a total free for all. Yeah, totally. Com- so. Commitment would mean nothing and it already does really. But once you sign, it really isn't a commitment either way. If, if that's the case. Yeah. Uh, okay. JD King, King played eight games. <laughs> yeah, I'm I looking at his so. game log now, and I'm shocked. I don't yeah, remember him I carrying he, it against Texas Tech. I think Kansas, he only had carries in like five or six, maybe. Kansas State. No, he, he played. He he had he got carries in eight games. Did he really? Yeah. Wow. Do you remember um, six carries against Baylor or five carries against Boise? Yeah, his his Baylor carries came at the very end. Like they had justice out. That was, it was weird. Like they they were like riding JD in the fourth quarter. Oh, that's right. I'm, that's the one I do remember. But I don't remember Texas Tech or any of those other ones. Yeah. So, um, okay, that's all I got. Kelvin Sampson in Gallagher Iva this weekend should be a lot of fun. And uh, what do you, what are you going to be up to, Carson? I'm flying to New York City for the Heisman tomorrow. Yes. That's awesome. So that'll be fun. I've never never covered that before. I didn't go to Bradford or Mayfield's trophy presentation. Obviously, I didn't go to Barry Sanders. I was four years old. Uh, <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm excited. And uh, I did want to ask you, the, the College Football Award Show is tonight. We're taping this on, on Thursday. Do you think uh, Tylen Wallace takes home the Blitnikoff? I don't. I hope he does. I think it'd be awesome. But I think the uh, I think it's hard to go six and six and and take home an award like that. I mean I I, I don't, I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying I agree with it. But as Mike Gundy would say, I think that's just sort of the world we live in. Yeah, like your stats better be far and away the best, right? I think that's what mm-hmm. happened with with James Washington last year. I just think they're going to vote for the Alabama guy because the numbers are are close enough. I think that'll that'll tip the scales. That's what I said a couple weeks ago. And I think that's the case. But hopefully, when people are listening to this, uh, we're wrong. So yeah, be uh, a national award for OSU. Do you think that Kyler wins the Heisman? I don't. Do I think he wow. should? I think he should. I think he's been the best player in college football. But rarely does the best player get the award. It's usually the best player on the best team. And I just think that Tua was so far ahead that a lot of people just made up their minds. I mean, they said 12% of the voters submitted their vote before the championship games on Saturday, That's which is good. which is crazy. And they shouldn't even accept those that early. Um, and those people should have their votes taken away. But that's a huge percentage for people that we had assumed be voting for Tua. Uh, so I, I think just I think it's going to be a very close margin, but I think Tua ultimately wins it. Yeah. Uh, I think Kyler wins, but... I think it's actually going to be close. I feel like we haven't had a close one in a while. Maybe we have, and I just am misremembering. But I feel like it's going to actually be interesting, the final outcome. Reggie Bush, Vince Young was close. I think it'll be like that. I mean, but Coward did win AP Player of the Year. and 75% of the time, the player that wins that wins the Heisman. And the first-place votes were not even close. Like, Coward had like 50 more first-place votes or something crazy. So maybe maybe he did swing it. It almost helps him how bad their defense is. Like because I think people look at them and be like, "Wow, oh, you got to the playoff with that with that defense?" Because with Alabama, you're just like, "Oh, well, of course they got to the playoff. They had that defense, you know." Well, and, it was the perfect uh, storm. I mean, not only does Tua play terribly, the backup quarterback comes in and wins, which which only fuels the argument that Alabama would be undefeated with Jalen Hurts playing quarterback. 
with Carson Cunningham. I don't. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I, would, I want no part of Georgia's defense. I don't either. Uh, okay, well, we'll be back next week to uh, to chat about the Heisman, the Bolitnikov, uh, all kinds of different things. So have a good weekend, Carson, and uh, safe travels. All right. Have a good weekend. Okay. See you.